Hello, and welcome to the American Writers Museum podcast, where we bring the power of the written word straight to your ears. Last week, we talked with indigenous artists and poets Frank Walm and Tania Winder. This week, get your peanuts and Cracker Jack ready because we're chatting with essayist Joe Bonomo and sports writer Rick Tellender about their favorite baseball writing. This program took place and was recorded in June, when Major League Baseball was still on hiatus. We hope you enjoy entering the mind of a writer. We're grateful to all of you for being here and for valuing the past, present, and future of thoughtful reading and writing. Tonight, we welcome essayist Joe Bonomo and sports writer Rick Tellender to talk with a the AWM storyteller, Courtney Borges, about their favorite baseball writing and writers. Joe is the author of No Place I Would Rather Be, Roger Angel, and A Life in Baseball Writing, as well as numerous books of essays. Rick is a three-time Pulitzer nominee and the sports com- senior sports columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. Hopefully, I want to, first of all, I want to say to both Joe and Rick, again, thank you so much for joining us here for this conversation. It is a real privilege to talk to both of you. And it's also very exciting to be able to talk about baseball right now in the absence of baseball, you know, physically right now. So it's a really nice way to just remember a time of baseball right now. And I want to just get you guys started by just asking a little bit about your background in particular, what drew you to baseball writing, either something that, you know, influence you to start writing toward baseball as an enthusiastic reader of baseball literature or particular sports writer just I would love to hear how this love and passion of baseball writing came into your life well I can start I'm not sure if you can hear us Uh, I'm actually uh, not a sports writer by any stretch of the imagination Uh, I'm an essayist I've been writing essays for a long time but I've been a baseball fan my, my, my entire life, uh, ever since I was a teenager. And uh, one day, one day when I was a, a late teen, I guess, uh, or maybe a little bit later than that, I, I noticed a, a book by Roger Angel on my dad's bookshelf uh, called Late Innings. I took it down. I started reading it. I just fell in love with Angel's style, with his approach, with, with, with his sort of a literary approach uh, and sensibility to, to baseball writing. And I, I, I loved it from the beginning before I could really uh, sort of make sense of it or even be uh, able to articulate why I loved it so much. But I kept up reading Angel regularly, uh, as so many of us have, through all of his annual pieces and his decades worth of writing. And a few years ago, I decided uh, that his story would be a great story to tell. That uh, he is really, there's no one quite like Roger Angel when it comes to baseball writers. And I felt that uh, a book was deserved. So I, I, uh, I pitched the idea to him. And he was enthusiastic once uh, I made it clear that I wasn't interested in writing sort of a conventional biography because he didn't want that, that done. And luckily, that wasn't the book I wanted to write. I wanted to write a book about his career and specifically about, about his, his writing. And he was very enthusiastic after that. Uh, and I, I, I learned uh, afterwards that the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, houses 60-plus uh, boxes of his writings and drafts and box scores and notes going back for decades. So I visited the Hall of Fame for a few days and, and did some research there. And that really got the, that really got the ball rolling. I'll ask you, Joe, I mean, you made a great point about the style of Roger Angel. I was wondering if you could go into more detail too, about what, you know, what are some of his strengths? I mean, he is a prolific sports writer that has been working 
for decades in baseball, and that is a testament to his talent. So I was wondering if you could go more in detail about, you know, what exactly um, about Rogers Angels' writing talent has been so prolific throughout you know, yeah. his entire career. Sure, yeah. Well, let, let's face it, he's a gifted writer. <laughs> he's a, he's a, a master stylist on the level of the, the sentence and, and, and the paragraph. And we're just lucky, baseball fans, or writers in general, I think, that he found his subject and that his subject is baseball. We have to remember it took him a while to find his subject. He didn't start writing about baseball until 1962, when his then editor, William Shawn of The New Yorker, uh, and, and the two of them sort of concocted this idea that maybe Roger would go down to spring training and watch the New York Mets in their first season in 1962 and see what he could come up with and, and write. And it turns out that Angel found his subject in, in baseball. He'd been a fan, of course, since he was a teenager. He saw Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth hit back-to-back home runs in the Yankee Stadium. That's how long Roger Angel's been a fan of baseball. No one has a, no one has a through line like him when it comes to baseball. It's amazing. Um, but I think the other thing we have to recognize besides, and well, a couple things. One, he was, before he wrote about baseball, he was a short story writer. And he published a collection of short stories in 1960. And he had been publishing them mostly in the New Yorker magazine and other places for about 10 years or so. And then he eventually stopped writing short fiction, but I, I, he, he clearly brought, brings a, a, fiction, a fiction writer's eye and ear and sensibility to writing about baseball. No one can write an at-bat or can describe an at-bat quite like Roger Angel. So I, I think he brought to bear uh, the writer, a fiction writer's sort of sensibility for scene and for character, but also to recognize, I think, what might be a larger theme than what it is he's writing. And he's writing about baseball, but he's also writing about something greater. He's writing about being being alive and being a fan and belonging to something and feel like you're a member of a community. And there's a through line of sort of identifying baseball players as sort of members of an extended family. So that was also kind of one of the larger themes he writes about. So there's that. But the other second, the, 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 the other thing, and a big factor, I think, is is the magazine where he ended up. The New Yorker, when, when Roger Angel started writing in the 60s and into the 70s and 80s, was, was as it is now, a weekly magazine. But it was 100 play pages or more every week. And it's hard to imagine that thick of a magazine, you know, coming to your house every week. And William Shawn, Angel's first editor, gave him famously, and, and all of his writers, essentially as much room as they wanted or as they needed to write with very, very soft deadlines. Eventually, Roger uh, uh, sort of settled down to writing a spring training piece and then a sort of a midsummer piece and then a, a piece in the, in the fall that, that, that uh, summarized the, the playoffs and the, and, and the postseason. But inside of these, these essays, he would go on for 20, 30, or 40 pages. And that, I think, is really what made Roger Angel special, not just his native gifts as a, as a writer and a storyteller, not just that he's a knowledgeable fan of, of baseball, but that he had the room to explore as long as he wanted anything in all aspects of baseball, anything that he found curious and that, and that he found interesting and sort of worth, worth exploring. And also when, when, uh, when Sean sent him down to the, the spring training in 1962, he said he gave him a piece of great advice. It's been quoted variously, but essentially Sean said to him, don't be sentimental, don't be sentimental and don't be cynical, which is great advice for a writer, great advice for a human being probably. And I think that Angel, who, who's a natural skeptic anyway, and he, and he very much resists sentimentality or goo, as he calls it, he spent his career sort of writing between those two poles, you know, being careful not to veer into sentimentality and, and, and sort of sap 
And at the same time, pulling away from being cynical or mean-spirited or perhaps bitter about a sport that, let's face it, we don't need to, to, we don't need to look at today's headlines to, 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 that it's ongoing. The way mm-hmm. that sport has turned off fans and has, has rankled fans in the past. But Roger Angel, to his great credit, has always been able to plug himself into the game in such a way that always renews it for him. It, one of the words that he always uses from the very beginning, his first piece to his, his Hall of Fame induction speech for the, for the uh, Frick Award a couple of years back is variations of the word startled. He's all, often still at his age and after this many decades startled by things in the game. And that gives his writing a kind of a freshness and a, a boyishness, for want of a better word, that I think allows him to, to, to allow the game, that is, to kind of renew him on a, on a daily basis. So that, that all is part of, I think, what's so wonderful about his his style and his approach. Definitely, definitely. I think it's a wonderful point, too. Um, kind of related, uh, I mean, baseball is kind of like its own genre of writing. That's not to say that other sports don't have magnificent and wonderful thought-provoking pieces, but there is something about the sport of baseball that has captured um, writers and readers so elegantly and leads itself to some beautiful prose and Poetry, uh, do you have, you know, why do you believe baseball is able to invoke this language in such writers and readers like Roger Angel? Yeah, that's an age-old question, isn't it? There is, people have often asked that about the game, and Angel himself has been asked. And you're right that, of course, <clears throat> football and tennis uh, and, and basketball, they've also uh, encouraged some fantastic, memorable writing down the decades. But there's something about baseball, and this is probably amusing to mention now, given that so many People are critical of the, the pace of play in baseball, that it's, it's a game that drags on too long, et cetera, for our current attention span and all that. But that is one of the beauties of baseball, of course, that it's played without a clock, uh, that it's played uh, theoretically, any game can last forever. You pick it up 12 hours later, whatever it takes, but yeah. theoretically, a game can last forever. And so that means there's a lot that is going on, but also a lot <clears throat> that isn't going on. You know, in any other sport, football, basketball, uh, uh, hockey, tennis, soccer, the ball is always moving, you know. It's always in action. That's not the case in baseball. Uh, yes. Some people complain about that. That's one of the things I love about the game. But that means that there's a lot of downtime. And even sometimes, as, as, as Angels mentions or acknowledges many times in his career, you even get bored sometimes in a baseball game, and that's okay. <laughs> a game can be dull, but, uh, but not boring in the sense that there isn't something to pay attention to. And I think with all of these spaces in the game where, where there is no action and where things aren't happening, I think the brain just naturally goes in and, and fills that space, you know? Mm-hmm. And by definition, sort of wonders and is curious and the imagination is brought to bear and <clears throat> memories come up floating in the between innings or during a pitching change of a game you saw when you were 12 or something like that. And, and, and it, one of the things Roger likes to often uses in his writings, the idea of things being virtually visible in, in the game, like, like transparencies laid upon the game. Baseball especially encourages that, that feeling of, of connection to other games you've been to. And I think that engages the imagination, engages memory, and it, it maybe engages, for certain writers, a, a literary impulse, I guess, to, to, to explore the game in its, in its kind of slowness that way. It's kind of slow-baked quality, which is one of the things we love about the game. Definitely. It's a good point, too. Uh, just 
in a way with baseball, not only just harkens back. I mean, it's such, you know, his baseball has been going on for centuries now. It, it is a sport enriched in history that is going on decade. It connects fan to fan to fan. I mean, you hear people talk about generations of my, you know, my grandfather, my mother, and now I am a fan. And it's just really this wholesome connective, you know, sense of community, which I think also lends really well into writing. It's just that it is something that we all share together, um, whether we're in the stands or just, you know, talking one-on-one. It doesn't even matter. You could come from one different walk of life with one team in, you know, the 50s and nowadays, and there will be something that connects you no matter what. You will find that ground somewhere in baseball. (laughs) Yeah, and that's, I think I mentioned earlier, that's something about the game that, that, that um, Roger found especially, um, well, he, had, he has great affection for, is that, that sort of, what, like you said, the generational aspect of the game, fathers, parents passing it to their children, et cetera. But also, I said, as I said, he, he, he has often sort of identified players as kind of extended members of his family. And, and oftentimes, truth be told, the owners as sort of cranky fathers who, uh, who uh, maybe are, are antagonistic toward their own kids for various reasons. But that's sort of a side thing. But he, he, he has seen, he, he recognizes family resemblances in his own experience and in all of our experiences as being members of a family. He sees resemblances or correspondences with that in baseball teams and players. Now, at one point in a, well, I would say a recent essay, but in Roger's case, probably 20 years ago, he mentioned, uh, no, it might have been even earlier. I think it might have been actually on the occasion of uh, Thurman Munson's tragic death in 1979. Roger wrote about that a few months later, and he said something along the lines of, I think I have friends, I have more friends among baseball players than I do in my own private life at this point. And he was, in, you know, I think probably pushing 60 or maybe 70 when he wrote those words, which is a pretty profound thing for a man of his age to say. But it goes a long way, I think, to, to identifying that, that affection that Roger has for the, for the familial aspect of baseball, not just among, among the players, but also he, he writes about, um, about baseball parks and stadiums themselves as being like old relatives, old creaky relatives, and, and baseball players sort of uh, 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 acting like, like cousins that come to visit once every couple of years. This is back in the day when there were fewer teams and you didn't see so many teams so often. Um, that great sort of feeling of family identification in the sport is something that, that Roger carries very deeply about. And it's frankly, one of the more <clears throat> personal aspects of his writing. And, and I think also autobiographical aspects of his writing too. That's for sure. It's a good point too, about how these stadiums do feel very, you know, like their homes in a sense. I mean, you see whenever, you know, an, it comes out, we have a name change, we have new sponsorship, or we're adding something, and you get very passionate, you know, responses from fans, either pro or against, and it's always rooted in, you know, this is the way I'm used to it, and I'm not sure, or, you know what, I'm all for introducing, and it's really, you know, it really is that sort of sense of home and belonging, and I do really appreciate that personal, you know, personification, personal aspect to baseball writing. Um, which is, again, speaking to this sort of familiar sense. Um, I, looking at stats and numbers and everything is really fascinating, but I do like the approach, too, of somebody coming in and looking from a, hum, you know, a human approach. Like, uh, who are these people behind 
the catcher's mitt, you know, when they take off the baseball uniform at the end of the day. <laughs> What's interesting in Roger's case is that he was never a beat writer. He was never, he, he wasn't a journalist. He was a, he was a, well, as you, you, we, many people may, maybe do know or don't know, he was a fiction editor at the New Yorker for decades. And that was sort of his main gig. And he wrote about baseball sort of on the side or that ultimately eclipsed his reputation rather than a fiction writer. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that, that Roger, what's amazing about him is he's been writing for so long and been a fan for so long that he's seen stadiums built and leveled and replaced again and has really reckoned with that, that kind of sense of identification that we have with, with the park. One of my favorite things he ever wrote uh, was in the early 60s when his beloved Polo Grounds was torn down, I think in 1964. And he wrote an absolutely beautiful passage I, I quote in the book about Polo Grounds as being he kind of he equates it with a tenement building and and fans sort of sitting next to him in the in the stands as being similar to families and friends hanging out on the stoop of a tenement building in New York and people leaning out of windows and yelling and, and it's just a wonderful passage that kind of evokes that 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 affection he has for parks stadiums and the fans in them as being sort of one giant family you know or one sort of block in the neighborhood it's just it's really great I see here that Rick should be able to talk now. Rick, can you hear us? Yes, I can. All right. Yay. <laughs> Success. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad. You know, it would have been a travesty if we weren't able to get you, but I'm so glad that we have you here again. So I just want to welcome you again to our conversation. Thank you for joining us. And Rick, I just very curious if you can tell us more about how you know you got your start into sports writing and baseball writing you know what drew you to what you're doing today it's interesting i didn't get to hear anything you guys have said earlier so if i'm redundant or contradictory uh just ignore it but um yeah when i started out when i was in grade school high school and then college uh I, I was fascinated by writers. I always wanted to be a writer, not necessarily a sports writer. It just happens to be a means to actually get paid. So you can be a novelist, which I suppose is what I wanted to be, which is deep inside what maybe everybody wants to be. But you can be broke and, uh, you know, never get your book published. So I wanted to make a living at it. So one of the first books that I read that really intrigued me and really uh, kind of set me on my way, helped anyway, was Roger Kahn's Boys of Summer. And, it, you know, as I, I just heard at the end there, Joe talking about uh, Roger Angel, I think, right? Uh, talking about the polo grounds? Yeah. The, the, yeah, right, correct. Well, the same thing, um, Roger Kahn made the Brooklyn Dodgers seem like this kind of sacred uh, arc that you might seek. It was there for a moment and it's gone and, you know, it moved to Los Angeles and it left wondrous Brooklyn. And it, actually it sparked my fascination with that whole part of New York City. I went on to write Heaven is a Playground, a basketball book, but it takes place in Brooklyn. And I'd say a good part of it is because of that. And Ebbets Field, he made sound like, again, it was some sort of sacred place even though it was in the midst of a neighborhood, but everything that was kind of uh, sleazy and lowbrow, you know, immigrants, fights, um, 
stuff like that, people yelling, screaming, you know, from tenements, all those things. It sounded magical. And when I was writing Heaven is a Playground, it was funny because the manager, this little kid, he's 12 years old, great guy. Uh, but he, um, I said, well, you know, ask some of the guys on the team. They were all 14, 15 years old. We travel around. We were called the Subway Stars. And I said, where does, um, where does he live? And we, we, we gave it, we had, I had to give all these guys fake names. So his fake name was Pontiac Carr. So I said, where does Pontiac live? And they said, well, he lives in the Jackie Robinson apartments. Uh, and his, his uh, apartment is on first base. <laughs> I mean, literally, I guess they thought right where Evans Field was. So um, that was kind of my, you know, my start and fascination with baseball and the combination with writing. Thank you. And Rick, I know, too, that, you know, you have written about sports in general as well. So I was wondering, um, what are some unique challenges that the sport of baseball itself poses that perhaps other sports don't? And even, Joe, I know how, you know, you're not necessarily a baseball writer, but uh, you noticed, picked up on what writing about Baseball is perhaps different than music or any other sort of genre that you partake in. Yeah. Are you asking me? I'm sorry. You can, yeah, you can start off with yeah. you, Rick. Oh, thank yeah. you. All right, Courtney. Yeah, well, uh, the difference, one of the main differences is, the biggest one, is there's more games than any other sport. There's 162 regular season games, and then the playoffs, I don't know how many there could possibly be, another 20 or so. Or so what happened today in a game is irrelevant tomorrow. I mean, you really, as a writer and as a player, you got to forget what just happened and move on to the big picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't. And, and that's not the case in, with so many other sports. Certainly the NFL is the opposite. One-tenth the amount of games, 16 to 162, so each game is incredibly important. You have a whole week to, you know, mull it over and dissect it and rip everybody who played badly and praise everybody who played well. Baseball, that's not the case. Good point. Yeah, I don't know that I uh, – you're right that I, I don't consider myself a baseball writer. In fact, my book on, on Angel really isn't technically a, base, a book about baseball so much as it's a book about baseball writing. But, of course, when, you, when, you re, when you're such a fan of Angels as I am and, 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 and then I'm – objectively considering him for this for this book everything i mentioned earlier about baseball as sort of a sport that invites the mind to wander in during the during the lulls and during the the the, the dull periods all that is very much apparent i think in rogers in rogers writing but as far as writing difference in writing about baseball or writing about music i don't really feel that there's much of a difference uh because i'm turned on so much by both of them uh and so i'm i'm, I'm less aware of the differences in writing about a rock and roll band or writing about a show or versus writing about a baseball game, which I do on my blog often. Uh, I'm, I'm less aware of the differences in writing about those than I am in, in where they overlap. You know, and, and that's just what, 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 why am I curious enough about this to want to explore it? Why, why is it meaningful or why, is it, why does it matter to me and hopefully to someone else? I was wondering, this is for both of you, I would love to hear your opinions on, on this, but to you, what are some key aspects of successful baseball writing you know it's what do you take away what are you looking for what do you come across in either a piece that you're writing or a piece that you come across that someone else has written that really stands out to you that goes 
that tells you or invokes something in you that goes, this is an outstanding piece of uh, baseball journalism. Mm, wow. Well, I guess I'll, I'll go first, if you know, to alternate here. Uh, baseball writing obviously has to be, I think, more lyrical than football or basketball writing. Again, there, there's so many more games, hockey writing, you know, different entirely. And with baseball, you really want to catch the best writing, I think, captures the ambiance around the game and the people at the game and the way uh, the game is so different. You stand, there, mo- there's nothing happening most of the time. Every, you, you take uh, like a time lapse or take a, a photo every one second in a baseball game and 99% of the shots will be nothing. Same thing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but it's beautiful. I remember going to Wrigley Field for the first time. Well, not the first time, but with my dad for the first time. And he was a nut about, well, he really liked a, a nice lawn. He, was, he wasn't a, you know, a dictator about it, but he, he said, you know, damn it, Rick, those broadleaf plants. Got to get them. Got to get those dandelions, the crabgrass is not supposed to be here. Well, he saw the grass at Wrigley Field, and it was like, I thought his, his knees were going to buckle. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that, that's the kind of thing that, that baseball does to you, you know? And to capture that, I think, is, you know, I mean, Joe certainly hit, knows – probably way more about it than I do, at least as far as um, a certain kind of baseball writing. But that's what I would say. Speaking of dads, Rick, uh, my dad was born and raised in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. So he lost the Dodgers and he, he, he knows that pain very, very well. Oh boy. And then he oh, moved, his, and then he moved his growing family uh, to Washington DC suburbs and then lost the Washington centers. So he's, he's had two teams taken. <laughs> he, remain, he remains a baseball fan to this day. So I think, I think one of the things that I, like most in the writers, the baseball writers I like, uh, Roger Kahn certainly, Boys of Summer, although he got a little bit, I think, to my taste, a little bit programmatic and kind of sentimental later on. And that's what I, I dis, what I like the most in baseball writing is, is a, a kind of a, a skepticism, I think, you know, a, a resistance to writing about baseball as this maudlin sort of grand old game that America's pastime. It is, of course, but it's also full of scoundrels and, 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 and fascinating people and a lot of humor and a lot of, a lot of uh, coarse humor. And my favorite writers, um, starting with Red Smith, who was a big influence on Roger Angel, uh, who he, he wrote about, he was dry, he was funny, but he was dryly funny. He was, he was humorous, but he was dry about it. And he was skeptical of, of some of the players and of some of the owners and umpires. Uh, and, and Mike Shropshire, another baseball writer I loved, wrote about the Texas Rangers in the 1970s. And some current writers I really like, Dan Epstein, and Josh Wilker and, and, uh, and, and others write about baseball uh, with sentiment, with feeling, but not with sentimentality and not with this, this sort of maudlin approach to, it, uh, to, to the game. And so I think that kind of affection for, the, for baseball writing that's leavened with, um, with, uh, with a bit of skepticism, I think, is what I, I admire most in, 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 I think, probably all sports writing, but in baseball writing for sure. Well, that is a great lead into perhaps my next question is I would love to hear if you guys would have specific either stories or pieces or articles or what have you of your favorite baseball writing or something that you just think is very critical and influential, significant, or say if you were a baseball fan and looking to study or read some powerful moving uh, baseball writing, if you guys 
have any suggestions or your favorites that you just would have to tell someone like this is the one you should check out? <laughs> uh, you know, I should. You can't. Can you see me? Am I on camera? Unfortunately, we can hear you, but we can't see you. But we, we can hear you. Oh, it's a pity you can't see behind me because I have, I mean, books are my brain. And so to get rid of them would be like giving myself a lobotomy. Uh, I honestly, uh, you know, I, I've got, I, seriously, I have over, I have a couple thousand. And they go all the way back. And I have a whole sports section. I have all these baseball books. You know, Robert Coover. Um, God, I mean, I, I just... Uh, it's hard to pick one or the other, you know, I mean, even like Vec as in Rec about Bill Vec was just mm -hmm. amazing. Talk about, talk about a scoundrel. Oh, uh, ball four. By, <laughs> 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 you know, Ball four by Jim Bowden kind of changed everything. Uh, everything yeah. about the sanctity of the locker room, the sanctity of whatever it might be, the boardroom or any place that anybody might be where, you know, it happened to be sports. But all of a sudden it became like, oh, geez, what I thought was private, maybe it isn't. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I enjoyed reading Ball Four, but I think also as I read it, and, and Bowden, not a great author, I'm not sure, if, I guess it's his name on there, I'm not sure. There's a yes. number of books. Is it? I'm sorry, Joe, is it? Yeah, uh -huh. it is. Okay, he's, he's the author. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, but uh, I read that with, you know, like it's like this kind of voyeuristic and almost uh, titillation. You know, it was wrong uh, to speak. You know, oh my God, I bet these guys don't uh, want what you're just saying about them to be made public. I bet they didn't, and in fact, they really didn't. The Yankees really, really didn't. But it was truly a peek into the beginning of that kind of writing, uh, and I'll say nonfiction writing at least for that pervades baseball writing to this day, all sports, all writing, everything. I mean, we've got something coming out about Donald Trump written by his niece, you know, uh, it's going to be juicy, I hope. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that kind of preceded all the stuff. And you have so much time in the clubhouse, in the locker room and preparing to play the damn game, which is day after day after day after day, uh, I don't know. I, I would agree with Joe. I don't like people who worship at the Church of Baseball. But, um, you know, it does take place in the sunshine. There's something to be said for that. Which it should, anyway. I, I mentioned, yeah. uh, I mentioned the, the, the writer Mike Shropshire. I, <clears throat> the, the Jim Bouton books, I think, preceded his books by a couple of years. But he's writing at, at that same sort of Bouton tradition of, of uh, this sort of wry, cranky, very kind of smart, smart alecky approach to covering baseball. He covered some pretty lousy Texas Rangers teams in the 70s. One book's called The Real Season, and the other is called The, the Last Real Season, I think. I'm, I'm not quite sure if I'm getting the titles right. But if you like that Bouton kind of um, irreverent writing, Shropshire was one of the best. Very, very, very funny, but also very, very smart about the game, but was careful not to write about it with, in an over-worshipful sense. I, I would recommend Shropshire. And of course, I recommend Angel, the greatest living baseball writer, uh, without a doubt. Um, but I, I'm often asked what my favorite Angel piece is, and I, I don't really have one because <clears throat> they're also uniformly good. I know I sound like a gushing fan when I say that, but I say it in all 
with all the eject criticism there, he, he rarely wrote or published anyway a, a, a weak piece, and, and uh, in part because he spent so much time on them and had so much had such soft deadlines and didn't have that kind of weekly or daily news bag that Rick knows uh, so much about. But he it allowed him this kind of expansiveness to be able to really really craft his his pieces. But I would say my favorite Angel book is, is Late Innings, the one I mentioned that I saw on my dad's bookshelf when I was when I was younger. Mostly because I came of age as a baseball fan uh, in the mid '70s and late '70s, and into my teen years, as so many people do. You know, you you, you love the game when you're a 12 year old and 13 year old, and and so I really really loved baseball. I love it now, but I, I really grew to love it in those years. Those crazy Yankees Dodgers World Series and the Yankees Royals uh, playoff games, and 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 so Rogers and uh, Rogers writing about those. Uh, years or have happened to be collected in his book late in. So that's my favorite, but I would recommend all of his books really because they span so much time. And he's such a, a kind of a cultural barometer for the game because he's been a fan since the depression era, if you can believe it. You know, uh, Joe, you just brought up Kenneth Shropshire. I hadn't thought of him in a long, long time. I just went to my bookshelf. Can't watch me, but I did. And I have a book by him. I'm sure you've never seen it. It's called agents of opportunity. Sports agents and corruption and collegiate athletes and, um, or athletics. Sorry. And I read it a long time ago and I forgot his bio. Jeez. Maybe this is why you like his writing. Kendall Shropshire is assistant professor of legal studies at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania and a practicing attorney on legal and business issues. He attended Stanford University on a football scholarship. Received his JD degree from Columbia, was an assistant vice president with the Los Angeles Olympic Organizing Committee, and managed the 1984 Olympic boxing competition. So that's a lot that this dude had accomplished. And this is this book <laughs> came out a long time ago, so he's had a lot of time to uh, to burn his set, probably sat apple too. So you're not dealing with a dumb guy. This book came out in 1990. So. I, I, uh, there you I, go. There's Kenneth Shropshire for you folks. I think that Shropshire is a different one than the one I'm, I'm talking about. Oh, no. Yeah, really? I, was about, I was talking about Mike Shropshire. Unless I'm getting it. I don't have my books oh. here. I have a <laughs> people are named Shropshire in this world? Yeah, what do you know, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, your Shropshire's bona fides were, were, were at the okay. other time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, my bad. Sorry. Uh, not at all. <laughs> oh. Well, I was wondering, too, if, you know, baseball, if you think, again, as we talked about a little bit earlier, baseball is so enriched in history, It's which also means that it is a sport that has evolved along the way, uh, it's changed so much stuff that's accepted, and it's continued to change. And as baseball changes, so does baseball writing. Um, I was wondering if you guys, if you had – any opinions or any thoughts as to how you see baseball writing going in the future? Well, okay. I guess if I start again, uh, now if we're talking about fiction writing and nonfiction, I mean, two very different things because if you bring journalism into this, the whole world of journalism is God knows where it's going. I mean, we might not have newspapers per se in 10 years, even though I've worked for one for 25. I I really believe that. And this COVID thing has just speeded that up. Nobody, you know, newspapers are now yesterday's news. That's what they are. They close at 10 o'clock at night, 11 maybe at the latest. 
and everything's got to be written by then. So whatever might happen, a riot or anything else, you're not going to read about it, so you go online. But uh, we actually here in Chicago have, or had, if there's ever any baseball, two very good baseball writers. And one is Paul Sullivan, and uh, the other is Gordon Whitmire. And both these guys should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I got to tell you one thing about uh, journalism, baseball, the Hall of Fame. Chicago, if you go to the uh, press box at Wrigley Field, they have in the, uh, the eating area, they have all these plaques of the uh, photos of these, um, the Hall of Fame writers, baseball writers from Chicago. And I think there's 10 or 12 of them. And the last one to go in, I believe, was Jerome Holtzman uh, 20 years ago, at least. Mm-hmm. It's like baseball writing. It didn't, and all these other guys got in in the 30 years preceding that. And I'm thinking, well, what about everybody in Cooperstown? Did they decide that Chicago baseball writing suddenly isn't any good anymore? So that really that really ticks me off. I got to tell you, because if you read what they write, uh, it's very good as far as baseball as a as a trope, as a theme for um, fiction writing. You know, you never know. Something's going to pop out, uh, you know, where somebody will take it. I, I can't think of the name of that book a couple of years ago, but being a shortstop. Um, God, I read it. It was great. My brain is, you know that, what I'm talking about, Joe? Um, uh, about four or five years ago, maybe. Don't you have it behind you? What's that? I'm sorry. Don't you have it behind you somewhere? <laughs> no. Oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, don't you have it behind you? No, that's not it. Um, no, I don't. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, but it was, a, you know, like close to the number one bestseller and it used baseball as its motif and it was fiction and it, um, it was terrific. So, yeah, it's still there, still is a thing, but when we're not playing it at all, you know, I don't know maybe somebody will write about viruses based on uh, and pandemics based on baseball yeah it's scary what's happening to the shrinking sports section you know it took it took roger angel a long long time to get to the hall of fame too because he was never a member of the baseball writers association and, and he was never a, you know a beat guy or a press guy but, but it, it finally got him in and that was that was long overdue yeah i can't speak to journalism certainly since i'm not a journalist um but it seems to me that the 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 the, the blogosphere which is not a new thing anymore is 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 going to uh, it's going to factor, I think, in the future of, of at least baseball writing and sports writing in general, because, as Rick said, journalism and newspapers in particular, that industry is at this strange sort of precipice right now, this strange, this strange place. We don't know what the future is going to be. Blogging will always be around. And, and I think in, in a funny way, blogging allows the good writer the kind of uh, space and, and, and a lack of deadline, lack, you know, soft deadlines, a lack of deadline anyway, that, that Roger enjoyed at, at, at the New Yorker. And, and so maybe there will be a future Roger Angel uh, among us who will, uh, will turn to the blog for his writing. There is a lot of great writing on the blog, a lot of great baseball writing on the blog now, a lot of great uh, long-form baseball writing on, in, in blogs now. And so that's a great thing to see. So that's probably going to be the future, I, I, I think. Um, and I think baseball as a sport lends itself, as I mentioned earlier, to that kind of sort of long considered approach to thinking about the game that, that blogging, even though it's as instant as anything else right now, the actual process of writing, you can take your time and, and publish it when you want. So 
that, that, that will probably factor in, in futures. Well, yeah, I would like to add to that, Joe, because that is everything. I want to, I'll give you an example. Uh, you have, people have no idea how well somebody could write if they didn't have a deadline. Try okay. writing 750 words and you've got 45 minutes and the clock is ticking. And if you don't push send at exactly that minute, there will be an ad there blocking I mean, in, in the newspaper. So, and with noise going, leaf blowers, everything, whatever might be going on. A lot of people say, oh, I can do that. Yeah, sure. In your basement, sitting there calmly watching on your TV, you can't. But try being there. And I defy anybody to do that because it's not taught in journalism school. I do, man. Yeah. I mean, so I'm going to give you an example uh, of the dreaded aspects of deadline writing, which were there. For all, all newspaper writing, we're talking about uh, everybody. Roger Angel, obviously, for a magazine, yeah, no problem. Uh, you know, go and rework it for another two days. But you can't do that in newspaper writing. Is that good or bad? I don't know. But that's how most people got their writing. Most people don't subscribe to The New Yorker. You know, I do, <laughs> but most people don't. Uh, by the way, the book was The Art of Feeling by uh, Chad right. Harbach. It was the number one bestseller. So... That's what I was trying to think of. Sorry about that. Didn't think of it. I don't know if you've heard of it, but anyway, um, yeah. yeah, that was the book. So I'm at the World Series 2016. The Cubs have not won a World Series in 108 years. They're playing the Cleveland Indians in Cleveland. It's the seventh game of the World Series. There's a rain delay. The first deadline passes. Guess what? The score is tied. The biggest game in the last century plus and you have to write a column, and you don't know who won the game. And that's all that matters. Are they World Series champions, or are they the Cubs? The <laughs> lovable losers, one more time. And the second deadline is the clock is ticking, and here we go. The first one was at 9.30 or 10. Now we've got until 11.45 or midnight. The absolute last one to get anything out to all readers. And everybody wants a newspaper that, that documents a uh, World Series championship because as I always say, well, you you want to frame your laptop up on the wall? No, it doesn't work too well. So here's the clock going. It's still tied, and there's a rain delay, and the Cubs are at bat. And we, I had to flip a coin in my mind and make a ridiculous decision that the Cubs were going to win. And they did. And I was lucky by five minutes, but it didn't matter. It was if I'd waited five more minutes, it would not have gotten in. That was the headline, the main story in the Sun-Times. People, I'm sure, have it on their walls. A great wraparound photo of the Cubs celebrating. And try doing that sometime, folks. I mean, that's a three or four years off my life, at least. <laughs> miserable. Miserable beyond belief. And novel writers, oh, do you remember that, Joe? What's that? That game? Oh, my God, do I remember. Of course. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that's a great story, and, and that, that, that story alone illustrates how important print media is. You know, you're right. It's, you want to save that, uh, that, that paper. You want to frame it, or you want to put it in a box down in the basement. And, you can, you know, you, printing an article off the web is not the same thing. So that, that, that alone is enough, enough reason. To, let's, keep, let's keep print newspapers uh, alive. That's a great story. <laughs> I can say that, Rick. Um, my dad is a lifelong Cubs fan, one who definitely ran out 
to grab the newspapers to have in his house, you know, to finally show that the Cubs won the World Series. So just listening to that brings me back to that night and just funny to think about how maybe, you know, if Ben Zobris's ball is, you know, not it is <laughs> not as close to the third base line as it was, you know, we're one bad headline, you know, one bad hop from a really bad headline. So thank you for <laughs> bringing back good memories for me. <laughs> well, I want to say. Yeah, well, I, you, you know, one other thing about that, um, Ben Zobris, you brought up, interesting, he was the MVP of that. Mm-hmm of that game and um, all of us there in the press box, if you could be there, you wouldn't want to be around because tensions were incredibly high. Nobody was enjoying the game. I mean, it was, if I were a, just a plain old fan, oh my God, that would have been, I, I mean, I would have been walking around, I've been nervous as hell, having a beer, would have had friends or whatever around and it's going on and on. And, you know, think of that seventh game, rain delay, tie game and, Extra innings. I mean, it's like, and it's the Cubs. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I might add to that. Uh, I I mentioned, Rick, earlier, I don't know if you could hear that. I thought the Baseball Hall of Fame has has all of Roger Angel's uh, 60-plus boxes of his old manuscripts and box scores and game notes and everything. And it's fantastic trove to to research. One of the things I, I, I found in his game notes for the 86th World Series uh, with, against the Mets and the, and, and, and the Red Sox was that Angel, who, of course, is a, first and foremost a fan, and he says all sports writers are, even though they don't want to admit it necessarily. But that game, that series <laughs> was actually tough for him because he, uh, he, his, 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 he grew up a Red Sox fan because his mother was a Red Sox fan. She moved with her husband, E.B. White, and, and up into New England and lived there, where, of course, they were Red Sox lifers. So he was a Red Sox fan, but at the same time, he was a I can't say lifelong Mets fan, but a Mets fan since since they were born, 62, uh, because they essentially replaced his New York Giants, which was his beloved team. So he was a Mets fan and a Red Sox fan, and never did he think he would see the two of them in a World Series. And so his game notes are fascinating to see him go back and forth as a fan while taking journalistic notes about the game, going back and forth, I'm a Red, I want the Red Sox to win. No, I want the Mets to win. No, I want the Red Sox to win. <laughs> it was a great thing to, to, to see in his own kind of herky-jerky handwriting. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I, listen, that part of it, I can completely 100% identify with. And, uh, you know, one thing about being a sports writer as a career, you have fandom kind of beaten out of you on, on a daily basis because you can't afford it. You, you have to do your work. You might want to it sometimes, and I have, just stop and watch the game. But you got to keep typing. And one time I was typing away on a, on a column and a foul ball. This is at, um, used to be U.S. Cellular. It was Comiskey, then U.S. Cellular. Now it's uh, Guaranteed Rate Field. So this was when it was the, uh, the cell. And Chris Wizzer, the catcher for the, for the White Sox, was at bat. No big deal. You know, just a minor player. And um, I was typing, and he hit a foul ball. And it came up over the screen through the open window in the press box. And I saw it at the very last second as it cleared my laptop by about an inch. And it, I tapped it against my chest. It didn't even drop to the table. I mean, like, people were stunned. And I was stunned. It was, it was really a great athletic move. Uh, I, but the next day, 
And two days later, I had a perfectly circular purple, then black, then green, yellow bruise right there. And eventually, um, Widger, uh, you know, I gave the ball back to the PR guy. Widger signed it. And it was hilarious. He said, uh, I don't know, it was something like, now I know why you were whatever the hell you were. But that's what happens all the time. You're not watching half the time because you're, you're writing, for Christ's sake. And it, it's magic. It, it, um, I would love to just watch the games, but can't do it. Someday. Well, that's about the time that we have for tonight's event. I want to thank again Joe Bonobo and Jano Bonobo. Excuse, did I say it correctly? You did, thanks. <laughs> I to say, as someone who gets their last name, but I'm so I'm always sensitive to that. But thank you, Joe, and thank you to Rick Talender for joining us. Um, we want to thank you again for all our attendees who have come. Have a good evening, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the American Writers Museum podcast. Next week, we'll talk with author and historian Nicholas Bucola, who will discuss his recent book, The Fire is Upon Us, James Baldwin, William F. Buckley, and the debate over race in America. Now go, be inspired, and find the mind of a writer in yourself.